Welcome to the AF Mentors podcast. This is for coaches who care about impact and are ready to be pushed outside their comfort zone and into growth. You can find out more about AF Mentors at afmentors.com. Now I'm recording. Hello and welcome if you're listening on the podcast. All you have missed is me faffing around and uh, trying to figure stuff out. So we're here. And I'm going to talk first about, before I get to the questions, about four things to think about if you think that you might be undercharging or if you're worried about putting your prices up. And essentially to remind yourself of your own worth. So number one is that things that seem like they are common sense to you are certainly not common sense to your clients. And it's easy to forget when you've been coaching for a decent amount of time that actually like discovering tracking calories or discovering flexible dieting is life-changing to people and actually like blows people's mind. Like if you take yourself back to when you first figured this out and you're like, oh, it's not this mythical thing of like, we don't really know how people lose weight and there's all these different diets and you just need to keep trying them and figure out what works for you. But there's so much going on and one person will tell you something and then someone else will tell you something completely different. Actually, when you figure out that there is principles behind fat loss and that we do know how to do this stuff and that yes, there's individual differences, but we like there is a lot of flexibility in how you can implement these, these things and there's no right or wrong. Like, that is genuinely life-changing. If you're coming from years and years of being exposed to like random diets that say that they're the only diet that works and suddenly carbohydrates are going to give you type 2 diabetes and all this stuff, then that can be an incredible thing to implement into your life. So one, remember that these things that now seem like common sense to you aren't common sense to others. And something that I will add on that is that it's very easy and I've caught myself out on this and I it's actually something I try to remind myself of frequently and the person who I think is best at this and what I'm talking about is saying the same thing as if you've never said it before now this is something that I didn't um that I learned from Jamie Alderton right not because he told me it was a lesson just from watching him so I worked with Jamie for I don't know how long But I heard him tell the exact same story or the exact same example or like, yeah, basically explain the same concepts hundreds of times as if they were new. And that's so important. It's so important that you're engaged in what you're saying, as opposed to like, you shouldn't be able to tell that this is the millionth time you've explained the scale weight. Like you should be explaining it in a way that is new to a person that you're still excited about, that you're still passionate about explaining these things. I said this on an EIQ um, lecture that I did on the scale weight. And I said, if you're done explaining the scale weight, you're done as a coach, like you're done as a fat loss coach. If you don't want to do that anymore, go and do something else because it's so, so fundamental and it's so important. And if you think you're too good for that or you're bored of doing it, or you don't realize the value in it, like you're done as a coach. So that's the first thing is, remember that things that seem like common sense to you are not to others and they can be hugely life-changing. The second thing is that the negative impact that not knowing these things can have on people. 
So for example, not understanding the scale weight or not understanding energy balance and instead following these ridiculous rules around nutrition and around food and how that can negatively impact all areas of your life. That's knowing how negative that is also kind of gives you some reassurance or like reminds you of the value that you're giving to others of the positive impact that you're having on others. So not just thinking about it as these are the positives people will get from understanding this, but also what negatives am I avoiding for them? And I think that's quite hard. I was, I was speaking to Chloe about this this morning, actually, in a completely different context, but we were talking about how it's really hard to invest in yourself when you often can't see the result, the, yeah, the negative results of not investing in yourself, for example, because you only see what you experience. So let's say you had a bit of a niggle and you went to the physio and the physio fixed it for you and then you move on with your life as opposed to a bit of a niggle and you kind of train through it and you ignore it and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that that's a life-changing injury for you now you can't see that if you hadn't gone to the physio early on that you wouldn't have ended up with a life-changing injury that you wouldn't have did I say that the right way around I think you get the gist of this but you often you can't see these negative outcomes, but you you do know that like that's the risk that you're taking if you don't invest in your health, if you don't invest in a coach, if you don't invest in mentoring because your business on like who knows if you hadn't invested in mentoring, maybe you would have given up on coaching. Maybe your business wouldn't have been viable, and thus you'd be doing something else and you'd be unhappy working in a different job because you hadn't figured out how to run your business successfully. But you can't see that because it hasn't happened. I hope this makes some kind of sense. It was a bit of an epiphany to me today. I was like, yes, why it's so hard to invest in yourself is because you can't actually see what happens if you don't. And it's hard to see the benefit directly because it's not tangible. You can't measure it. Um, why have I written here? Okay, yeah. And then the third one is to document your successes. So whenever a client comes to you, or whenever a client gets incredible results or they give you amazing feedback, screenshot that, put it in a special folder, remind yourself of it. And yes, of course, this is good for um, marketing, but it's also good for self-confidence. So whenever you're having a shit day and you can look back or whenever you feel like, oh, no nothing's working or maybe I shouldn't be doing this or maybe I'm not a good coach or something's missing, blah, blah, blah. You can look back and you can be like, look at all these people who said I changed their lives. Look at all these people who manage to lose weight and keep it off look at all these people who are happier and healthier because of me that will make you confident and if you are not confident you cannot sell which is kind of the, the next thing that I'm coming on to is be confident even if you don't feel it people do not buy from people who are not confident and more importantly than that although these things are completely combined they don't get results from people who are not confident either like you need to be able to coach with conviction. Otherwise people will not get results from that. So hopefully that's useful. I thought I would highlight a few things if you feel like you're questioning your own value or you're undercharging. And this does completely link to your own pricing, your own ability to sell your service, your own ability to get clients. And that means to help people. Like there's still this narrative that selling and marketing is bad is literally opening the door for you to help people. You cannot do it without that. So question that and get that out of your head. Okay, questions. Um, hmm. 
Oh, okay, I answered that one. Okay, Lena was asking, do you have a systemized approach to use to follow up with leads apart from making a spreadsheet? Shit. <laughs> apart from making a spreadsheet. Uh, I think I went to say spreadsheet. Um, I can't come up with an efficient way. Any suggestions would be helpful. Thanks. And I actually tagged Alexandra in here because she's amazing. And she said monday.com was good. And I also used to use Trello, which is good as well. I think the thing here is, and this is true with any process of systemization, is it has to work for you and you have to, I would suggest use the same one consistently. So certainly don't be like, I'll use Trello and then a spreadsheet and then monday.com and then blah, 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 and like keep moving around. Find one that does the job. It doesn't need to be the best thing in the world. It just needs to do what you want it to do and then stick with that. And I found Trello quite useful because you could move people from, and I mean, monday.com is probably the same, but I've only ever used one because I'm not one to try a million things when one of them is working. But you can move people from like leads to current clients to, I don't know, like X clients. And then you have people in a sort of systemized way. The other thing you can do is, depends how you're collecting these leads but you can use something like active campaigns or mailchimp to label these people and then maybe you create a profile for them which has their email address their phone number their instagram handle like you can put all this data in and you could have those in a group that says people who have contacted me recently or like people who have replied to x on instagram or people who have mentioned that they're interested next but haven't signed up yet and you can tag these people and you can target emails to them but you can also use that I mean that's usually what it's for but you can also use that just as like a database of your clients or potential clients and then you might want to dm them on instagram instead so you could still look up that list of people who are interested and if you know that actually not a lot of your clients or not a lot of your contacts or potential clients look at emails you could go through that and be like cool i've got all of their instagram handles because i noted those down in that information too and I'm going to message them about this new lead gen that I'm doing or this new opportunity to work with me or this program opening, whatever it is. So that could be one way of doing it. And it's actually the way that I realized that I was selling so many things to the same people, which was quite interesting. When I, we used to have separate email systems for EIQ, for the EC method, for Commit6, for ESG Fitness stuff and for AFM stuff, but now I have it all on one system. It's quite interesting when I go on someone's profile to see that they're tagged in like the EC method waiting list and they've also done EIQ and they've also are on AFM or something. And it's like, actually most people have bought everything. Oh, and also they bought a journal because I can see that it's tagged in that as well. So that's quite interesting to see trends like that. Okay, Laura, hello, just wondering, when you get to the end of a group program, e.g. a six-week or eight-week challenge, what would you typically offer to those clients who want to stay on with you after that period? Just thinking they might not want to go straight on to one-to-one coaching, but they might not want to repeat the same six to eight-week program again either. Just wondering what everyone does typically. So this is going to depend on a couple of things. Primarily, as usual, like your niche and who you want to serve and what their primary goals are. But for example, what I do with both the EC method and commit to six is have like what we call like a graduate program. So the workouts are different. The structure is the same. And really, what else are you changing? So you're not repeating the eight weeks. They're getting the same support. 
they're getting however you know however you did the eight weeks it would be for me like for commit six for example they still get their check-ins it's actually on a different day so the coaches aren't overwhelmed but like the only real change is they're getting upgraded workouts and actually I moved them on to a direct debit so it's just a monthly rolling direct debit um, on the easy method they just sign up for the next eight weeks but they're now tagged as a grad which means they get different workouts because they've already done these workouts and they might get bored but really apart from that nothing really changes because the support that worked for the first eight weeks will work for the second eight weeks and the third eight weeks and the fourth eight weeks like that side doesn't really need to change so I would look at the people you're serving your client group and what would actually need to change eight weeks every eight weeks what what would they need to do that's different the other thing that I do to kind of keep things fresh and and like get people to think about their goals again is to do what do I call it a grad oh yeah I call it the grad reset and it's like a video of Chloe and I going through I think I did it on Google Sheets or did I do it on anyway like a presentation of why it's so important to goal set what their current goals are what their goals are going forward and then like looking back over eight weeks what have I achieved what have I learned what do I still need to work on so you've got a bit of a like big scale review and then you focus on great now what do I need to do for the next eight weeks and that kind of helps people reset a little bit otherwise things can get a little bit stale if you're just like great now you're doing another six weeks or another eight weeks there needs to be something a little bit different in between them I think so those would be my thoughts but it depends again how you're running your business so if you're saying you're doing I don't know eight week programs but you're only doing them three times a year then that like that method isn't going to work because we run ours back to back there's only ever like a week in between sometimes it doesn't really matter so they go straight on to the the next program okay daisy hey emma as per my post in the group i want to increase my prices for some of my current members but i don't know how best to frame it so that so as not to lose any clients some of them have been with me since the start, so are very cheap in comparison to what I will be charging. Um, 75 to 125 pounds per month, and I want to bring everyone up to 150. Hopefully start getting new clients in at 180 or 200. Any tips on going about this would be great. Thank you. Okay, so there's a couple of things here. And this is a lesson to people as well. Like you will set people's expectation on what they're currently paying. So if you're a new coach, for example, and you're like, you know what, I'm new, I'm just going to charge 50 pounds a month. And then suddenly you realize you've been massively undercharging and you want to like increase that to hundred pounds a month. People are going to be like, well, I have this, I now have this, um, what do you call it? Anyway, essentially I have this expectation of paying X what do they call that? An anchoring point. I have this anchor of X. So now anything more than that seems like a lot, right? And it's interesting. I was thinking about this in regards to buying property, that that valuation that you get of, let's say it's a 200,000 pound flat, that valuation of 200,000 pounds anchors you to a certain price. Do anything you're paying more than that, you're like, oh God, like I'm paying over asking, I'm paying over value. But if that just happened to say 210, you would think nothing of paying 210 it's because you've anchored yourself to a certain price when they do this a lot with um things that are and despite knowing this i still fall for it but like small medium and large you're anchored to certain prices and usually the medium 
is for what you're getting the most expensive but most people will go for medium anyway because it's in the middle which is quite interesting um anyway back to this point to increase your prices so i i mean i think most people who have been coaching for more than a couple of years have been in this position before so i did i actually still have some people that are paying ridiculously low prices to work with me but they're people that I really want to work with and they don't take up a lot of my time. However, I did have one person who was paying that very low price, but was probably also my hardest client, as in took up the most of my time. And I just said to them, look, I've not increased your prices in three years you've been with me. I now actually charge this and I can't afford to not charge this anymore for you. So this is the price. And actually she left, which was absolutely fine. That's the risk that you take. And I, you know, I'm in a position where I don't mind that she left and I can fill her space with someone else. But that is a risk that you have to accept that actually, if it is genuinely not worth your time to be coaching someone for £75 a month anymore, then, you know, if they leave, it's not actually the end of the world. Okay, you focus that time on getting a new client that's going to be paying £200 a month. So there's that element. The second thing I would suggest is potentially to change something even a little bit. Like it doesn't have to be a massive change. It could just be part of the way that you're doing check-ins or maybe some kind of structure with the app that you're using so that they feel like they're getting something. Like if you're like, the service is going to stay exactly the same, but I'm doubling the amount that you're going to be, like if someone's going from 75 to 150, like nothing's changing apart from I'm doubling the cost of this coaching service that you've previously been getting for half price. And many people will leave because of that which again might be something that you just accept and you're like, cool, that's kind of cutting my losses. It means I have more time to focus on getting in clients at this higher price point. And that that's kind of like the whole one step, what's the thing? Three steps forward, one step back. But anyway, it's basically one step back and then three steps forward in this situation. But sometimes that's something that you just have to go through. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's it's an inevitability a lot of the time. But I would make sure that you follow the tips that I spoke about at the start, where you make sure that you are portraying the value that you give and maybe restructuring in some way. I mean, it's a nice opportunity just to take a step back, get some perspective and look at your business as well and be like, what could I change here? What is going to make things better here? And then you can come to your clients and say, I mean, even maybe get them to do a bit of feedback for you. What can I do more to serve you better, to support you better? And then based on that feedback, make a few changes and then say, based on your feedback, I've made these changes. By the way, my coaching is now X. If you wish to continue, like I can do that for you. The other thing I would try and reduce friction as much as possible. So depending on what program you're using you may be able to change their direct debit obviously with their approval which means that they don't have to do anything you just say hey this is the new price um i will change it all for you just reply saying yes you're happy with that or you could have an opt-out option this is the new program this is how i'm going to coach now i've moved you all over to this but it does mean that now the price is x amount a month if you do not wish to continue, make sure you reply to this email by X date when the changeover happens. If you have any questions, let me know. Bam. Then they don't have to do anything. 
then you've literally, they would have to opt out of that situation. And that's a much better way to make these kind of changes. It's exactly what we did with the EIQ grads. So we're like, we're giving so much more value now. And we are like, the grads thing is freaking awesome. I'm so happy that we made these changes. And like, I would 100% join it five times over if I wasn't already part of it. But like the value that we're getting now is incredible. Um, but we essentially had an opt-out option. This is the changes that's happening. This is the price change that's happening. If you don't want to stay on, like we will miss you, but you need to let us know by X date and then we will cancel your membership. Fine. That's just how things work. And you know what? We did get a few people drop off because it was like a over 100% price increase. I think we went from like £35 a month to £99 a month, but it was also an over 100% value increase. And I think for what you're getting is still an incredible cost. Anyway, I'm not trying to sell EIQ here, but you know, if you're listening, maybe head over to eiqnutrition.com. Okay, Sophie. Hey, Emma, we touched on it. Oh, and by the way, because this is all about sharing, we did have people drop off EIQ, but our revenue is still up massively. So like in comparison, like the amount of people that dropped off, was not to the point at which you would then not be making more money by increasing that price. Okay, Sophie. Hey Emma, we touched on this in the masterminds, but do you need two accounts or two separate businesses for one-to-one and in-person PT? Confused me a little bit. I have a limited company in the early stages of online PT work, thanks. So we spoke about this on the mastermind, more so for people that are reaching that threshold than so you don't know, Sophie, no, you don't. It's something that you might want to consider. And I'm just being a little bit careful here because this could be misconstrued as like how to tax dodge. <laughs> but if they are significantly different businesses, i.e. online coaching has nothing to do with your face-to-face coaching, then you could have two separate businesses, your online and then your face-to-face coaching which means that if you met that threshold with those two combined then sorry if you met that yeah if you met that threshold with those two combined you'd obviously have to pay that which for a personal trainer is really shit because you either have to pass it on to your clients or what most of us do is just take the hit like for a period of time you'll just be paying 20% less I mean you'll just be earning 20% less that it also isn't that many that deductible expenses that we have as personal trainers, especially not online. So it's like, it's a really shit situation, basically. I will say on top of that and speak to your accountants about this, because you should have accountant. Um, there is a flat rate VAT scheme. And I think for personal trainers, it tends to be about 12%, uh, depending on where you are in the world. But in the UK, I think it would be 12%. Um, but you can only earn between... I think it's 85 to 120K the year that you go into that program. And then as soon as you start earning more than 280 grand, um, you can't, you have to pay full that. So that's like a kind of nice, I mean, it saves you 8%, which is nice. But I also think there are rules in regards to that, as in you can't claim any VAT back if you're on a flat rate VAT scheme which still makes sense as a personal trainer, because as I said, there isn't really very much we can claim back. 
But if you have two businesses and you're not making it past that threshold, then obviously you wouldn't be paying that, you'd just be paying corporation tax. And then personal tax on anything that you take out of those businesses. But if you have any, so I actually quite enjoy um, the financial side of things because I actually think financial advice is so similar to nutrition advice in many ways because it isn't generic. Like people want a generic answer. Then my flatmate is kind of in finance. And we speak about this quite a lot because it's the same as someone like whenever I'm like to him, should I buy X? Like, should I invest in X? It's the same as, as like someone messaging me saying, how many calories should I be on without knowing anything about this person, like even what their goal is, what their height is, what their weight is, how active they are, previous dieting history, like nothing. I don't know anything about them. What, what, should, what calories should I be on? I don't know. How could I possibly know? Much like if you're like, should I invest in X? I don't know. I don't know what dependents you have. I don't know what disposable income you have. I don't know what you want from this investment. I don't know how long you want to invest this money, blah, blah, blah. Like there's so many factors that come into things slightly different for this but like tax is the same like there are many ways that you can do different things with the money in your business or you can be like a sole trader and for some instances it's better to be a sole trader it's better to be a business it's better to have numerous businesses it might be better to put money into a pension or not put money into a pension or start a SaaS or not start a SaaS like there are so many things but they're so individual to you and to your like to the context of you and I think it's actually it just reminded me going through this process myself of how you would coach someone like it isn't one size fits all like the principles might be there but depending on what your specific needs are and what your goals are and what your timeline is it's like all of these factors are going to be slightly different um Haley's saying just joined EIQ can't wait you're gonna love it gal right um, that is up to date with the questions. I hope everyone is ready for an excellent mastermind on um, Thursday at two. And if you're listening to this on the podcast and you're thinking, no, I'd quite like to join AFM, you can go to afmentors.com.